Praise the Lord. It's Epiphany Sunday, the first Sunday of Epiphany, a new season for the church. We, we begin this season by celebrating. Uh, typically, you end a season by celebrating, but in this season, we begin by celebrating. And this uh, season is going to usher us all the way to Easter, uh, to Lent and to Easter together. And um, it's a wonderful time because it comes right after uh, having gone through all of this celebrating. I remember um, this is our third year as a family uh, celebrating the 12 days of Christmas where instead of seeing December 25th as the end of something, rather seeing it as the beginning of something, um, you know, for the longest time, I just thought Advent was warm up for Christmas, you know, and then it was all over, bing, bang, boom on, you know, December 25th. But really, that's not true. Advent is its own season, and it's not divorced from celebrating the incarnation. It certainly prepares us for celebrating the incarnation, but that's all it is. It's a preparation, and uh, and there's meant to be this this season of celebrating. And uh, three years ago is when we first kind of tipped our toes in it. Uh, last year was the first year that we really tried to do it. And I'll tell you, it's not easy to try and celebrate for 12 straight days. Like, I don't know that I can handle that much fun and excitement and, and celebrating. It is interesting that one of those days out of 12 is the day that you... Uh, set aside for the mourning of the children that were killed by King Herod. And so in the middle of that, that ebb and flow of celebrating, there is one day that is specifically set aside to, to uh, see those children as being some of the first martyrs uh, for the kingdom and for Christ. Um, and so that's an interesting thing. But no matter how good you might get as at drawing that out and celebrating like at some point it's got to end right and uh we we had families uh here this week uh from England my youngest son was uh very upset to have to say goodbye to his aunt Nikki from England uh and my wife wisely told him she said you know son you have to say goodbye so that you can say hello again, right? And, and we understand that in our lives, we can't just be, you know, no matter what Spinal Tap wants you to believe, you can't just be at 11 all the time, right? You can't be at the max all the time. And that, you know, even in the, the very beginning of creation, what did God give us? He gave us the evening and the morning were the first day. He gave us... Uh, the seventh day of rest, not because God was tired, not because He had depleted Himself of power in the creation of the world, but He did that for us so that we might see His example in setting aside this one day of rest so that we would follow uh, in that, that uh, pattern. And so, uh, as we come to the end of this season and we, we celebrate... Epiphany, then we immediately move into uh, what is called ordinary time. 
in the church. So Epiphany is part of what's called ordinary time in the church. If you uh, have paid any attention at all to the, to the 25 people that open the weekly email and the four or five people that actually click around on things, you'll notice that the colors in the email throughout the year change. And each of those colors represent the different seasons of the year. So today's email, all of the headings and everything in it were green because green is the color not only of epiphany, but of ordinary time. And we come into this season after all of this celebrating where we enter into a place of rest as the church and we just allow the Lord to be enough for us. We allow the Lord to be our joy during this ordinary time. And I'll tell you, I have found, even though my, my history and my background and the traditions that I grew up in uh, were all about trying to draw out the biggest, greatest, best, latest, every Sunday is life-changing, every Sunday is some new, great, grand, awesome thing, uh, what I have found in my life is that it is in the ordinary times that God sometimes does His most extraordinary work. And it's in those times where we really, we don't really have, no one is giving us some other reason to celebrate. And we need to find the truth that we already have the greatest reason to celebrate in that we can say of Christ Jesus our Lord, I am my beloved's and He is mine and His banner over me is love. There is nothing greater that any one of us could celebrate day in and day out than that we, by the grace of God, belong to Jesus. The first question of the Heidelberg Catechism as children are trained in it, and adults. Um, we know Westminster, it's probably more famous, what's the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But Heidelberg starts a little differently. It says, what is our only hope in this life and the next? And the answer is that we are not our own, but we belong both in body and soul to God and to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is a daily knowledge that we need to revel in and find reason and cause to celebrate. Amen? Amen. So here we are today on the first Sunday of Epiphany. Um, this will be more of just a simple homily today. I'm not going to take a great deal of time, or at least that's my hope. We'll see what happens. Uh, but our text for today is our Gospel reading, which is Mark chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. So I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn and open to Mark chapter 1. When you find it, if you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I invite you to read out loud along with me. And at the end of that reading, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord. I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Amen. Mark chapter 1, just four verses, verses 7 through 11. I guess that's probably five verses. I'm bad at math. Mark 1, 7 through 11. 
Let's begin. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Here today on this first Sunday of Epiphany, we look at the baptism of Jesus. Um, and I want to talk to you just quickly. Why, uh, why is this on Epiphany Sunday? Because the baptism of Jesus is considered an epiphany. What is an epiphany? What is epiphany? Does anybody know? Reveal. It's a revelation, uh, sometimes called an appearing or to shine the light on. And there are uh, really three main epiphanies that are celebrated around this time of year uh, throughout the ages. Of course, yesterday on January 6th, every year uh, is the celebration of the epiphany uh, that we see that happens through the narrative of the wise men coming to the infant home of the baby Jesus. Um, and why is that an epiphany? Because uh, how does God reveal Him? How do we learn about God? Number one, He reveals Himself. Number two, how does God reveal Himself? He reveals Himself through nature and through His Word, which is the Bible. Now, natural, uh, when God reveals Himself through nature, we call that general or natural revelation. When God reveals Himself through His Word, we call that special revelation. And up until the time of the birth of Jesus, the only people on earth that had anything beyond natural or general revelation were the Israelites, were the Hebrews, because they had been given the Word of God through the Old Testament Scriptures. And so, in a sense, uh, and you can even uh, take into mind uh, Jesus' own analogy in the Sermon on the Mount when He says, uh, no one ought to, right, take a light and hide it under a bushel. But they should reveal that light. They should remove the bushel and let that light fill up the whole house. Well, interestingly enough, God Himself sort of hid a light under a bushel. Not forever, but for a season of time. And so the light of God's special revelation was reserved for the Jewish people, for the Hebrews, for the Israelites. Now some uh, seekers of God, as they are often called in Scripture, uh, came by the light of nature or, special rev or natural revelation to seek after God and found Him in the special revelation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And throughout the Old Testament times, we see different Gentiles who became Jewish worshipers of God. They were called God-fearers or God-seekers. But for the most part, the light of God's special revelation was reserved 
uh, for, the his, for the Hebrews, the Israelite people. But in the, the narrative of the wise men coming and seeking Jesus, what do we find? We find Gentiles who by the light of natural revelation, literally a star in the heavens, seek to find a king that not only is meant to be served as a natural king of the earth, but to be worshipped as a king of all kings and Lord of all lords. And that's what we celebrate on January 6th in Epiphany the Day. But the baptism of Jesus is also an epiphany. Why? Because what did we just uh, see here in verse number 10? As Jesus came up out of the water, what does it say? Immediately, uh, he saw the heavens being torn open or rent asunder. They were, they were cloven. They were ripped open. And the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And here's the revealing, the appearing, the, the light that is shined on Jesus when the voice came from heaven and said what? You are my Beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Another epiphany that is recognized is the the wedding miracle in Cana. Remember, Jesus comes to a wedding and they run out of wine. And His mother is there and she comes to Him. And what does He say? He says, woman, this my time has not yet come. And she kind of ignores Him, you know. Uh, and, and just tells the people there, just do whatever he says. And Jesus, what does he do? He says, fill these vessels with water, these large vessels with water. And what happens? The water turns into wine, not just any wine. It was the best wine, uh, to where the, the master of ceremonies, so to speak, when he's brought the wine, he, he's like, what's wrong with you people? You know, like, why do you wait to serve the best wine after everybody's drunk and can't even appreciate it? You should have served this first and brought the cheap stuff out later. What's, what's going on? Uh, and what happens? The people who were in on the secret, that was a kind of appearing, a revealing of the power of the Son of God on that day. These are all epiphanies, but one of the most remarkable epiphanies in Scripture is the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is transfigured with Moses and Elijah on the mount in front of Peter, James, and John. In all of these instances, Jesus is being revealed as the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace, power, and truth, the Anointed One, the Son of God, the Son of David, and God's Messiah. Now for us, we may think, well, that is of course, right? I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. What, what does it say? It says that, uh, if I could get there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For those of us who stand uh, today after the cross and the resurrection, because we have not only the light of nature, but now in this season of time, we have not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament Scriptures. We have the special revelation of God's Word. We know that the light of the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's 
epiphany to mankind, the light of the world that has appeared and been revealed. However, before the cross, it wasn't that easy to understand, even with special revelation. As it says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, speaking of the Messiah, who has believed what He has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Listen to this, verse 2, He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. You see, when the Messiah came, He did not come like the first king of Israel, like Saul. Remember Saul. Everyone looked at Saul and said, now there is a king. Right? He stood, Scripture says, head and shoulders above the rest. He was athletic and strong and had charisma. And everywhere he went, people wanted to follow. Right? John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. I mean, he was the guy. And, and everyone who looked at him thought if he wasn't a king, he came from kings or should be a king. But that's not how the Messiah came. The Messiah came enshrouded in mystery and darkness. He wasn't born in Jerusalem where the wise men originally sought Him in the, the um, palace, but rather He was on silk sheets and in the lap of luxury. Rather, He was born in a stable, possibly even in a cave that was just used for animals to find shelter and to be fed, laid perhaps on straw uh, in a feeding trough. And so, it was only through God's special revelations. Think of the shepherds who also experienced an epiphany out in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night as the angel of the Lord appeared to them and told them where they could go to find this precious babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It wasn't always as easy as it is for us to say, well, of course, of course, the light of the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. No, because before the special revelation that we had, He had no form or majesty that we should look upon Him and say, He's the one. He's the promised seed of the woman. There was nothing about Jesus that upon meeting Him at first glance would have made you say like the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross, surely this man is the Son of God. So these epiphanies that we find recorded for us in Scripture were a grace to those who witnessed them and they are a grace to us who get to hear and respond to their testimony that truly the light of the glory of God is in fact revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. What does the revealing of Jesus in His baptism that we read today testify to us about Him? Well, as we read in Isaiah chapter 42 in our Old Testament reading today, I want you just to remember one of those verses. 
that I believe is very important, not only for today, but for every day. In Isaiah 42, verse 3, speaking of the character, the nature, and the demeanor of the Messiah who was to come. In Isaiah 42, verse 3, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. We see here again a humility, a, a humbleness, uh, or as theologians call it, a further condescension of Jesus in his baptism. Now, often we think of the word condescend, we think of it in a, in, in, uh, a demeaning way. Um, and, you know, you, you might say, well, well, she was very condescending towards me. And you might be offended by that because you felt like she treated you like a child or something like that. But when we talk about the condescension of Jesus, we're not talking about uh, Him being demeaning toward us, but rather con with descent. To come low, to be made low, to be made humble. Remember uh, Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians uh, chapter 2 uh, in that great Christ hymn in Philippians 2. I'll pick up in verse 6. Who, speaking of Christ, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what? Verse 7. But emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. This is speaking of the condescension of Jesus. That though He uh, was robed in majesty on high, in taking on human flesh, that's where He became, like the prophet said, having no form or majesty that we should behold Him and think, here is the King. He emptied Himself. He made Himself low. He became like a servant, humbled Himself, as He says here, even to death on a cross. Jesus condescended to us and humbled Himself, taking the form of a servant, hear me, that He might in every way be made like us in order that He might redeem us in every way. Jesus was without sin. Think about it. Why was John out in the Jordan River baptizing people? He told everyone, this baptism was what? For the forgiveness of sins. Did Jesus have sins that needed to be forgiven? Absolutely not. He was without sin. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God. He had no need of a baptism for the forgiveness of sins for Himself. But even as He had already stepped into human flesh, even as He had already stepped into Time. He stepped into human flesh to redeem the flesh of all mankind. He stepped into time so that He might redeem our past and our future. Jesus walked into the waters of baptism not for Himself, but for you and for me. He walked into the waters of of baptism in obedience to the will of God that all things might be fulfilled and so that He might redeem us and, get this, 
even your baptism. Which signifies our forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus' perfect life, substitutionary death, and glorious resurrection for us and in our place. Hear me, beloved. Jesus was baptized for you. He was baptized for you. And the Spirit came down. In what form did the Spirit take? The Spirit took the form of a dove. Now on one hand, we could say that very simply the reason for this is because that's how God told John that he was to know who was the one. The one whom you see the Spirit descending like a dove, that's the one. And so there is that. But it's by no accident that the Spirit descended like a dove showing the anointing of Jesus. The Spirit came down like a dove signifying that peace and unity with the Father can only come through union with the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, signifying peace instead of like fire, signifying wrath. And even as Noah, after the flood, received the dove on the ark with the olive branch in its beak, which signified the end of God's wrath and the beginning of a new life of peace, under God's blessing, as this dove, the Spirit descended like a dove upon Jesus at His baptism, it was that same kind of peace and blessing that was offered to mankind and a new era of God's blessing for those who would put their faith and trust in Jesus. You see, the law came through Moses, but grace and peace came through Jesus Christ, as John tells us in John Chapter 1. And here's the beautiful thing, beloved. He was baptized for you. Because there is another epiphany that we are waiting for. A new appearing which we get to be a part of. In Romans chapter 8, verse 19, Paul writes, and he says, for the creation waits for eager longing for the epiphany. For the revealing of the sons of God. You see, beloved, we eagerly await the day when all those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ will be revealed as the sons of God and receive from Him the wondrous blessing, the Word spoken over them, Behold, my beloved son. Behold, my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. A word of blessing, a benediction that was earned for you by Christ. And it is yours by grace through union with Him in faith. As Jesus came out of the water, as the heavens were opened up, as the Spirit descended like a dove and the voice spoke from heaven and said, this is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus didn't need to know that. You needed to know that about Jesus. 
And you needed to receive the benefit and the blessing that would come when you too get to hear those words that were earned for you by your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember Isaiah 42, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench. Remember too the words of Jesus, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The Christian life is not a call to morality and busyness. The Christian life is a call to surrender in faith to Jesus Christ, believing that who He is and what He has done is enough for you. For you to be redeemed by Him, by His perfect life. Hear me. Jesus didn't walk into the waters of baptism to be an example for you to do likewise. Jesus walked into the waters of baptism to redeem you and your baptism as you follow Him in those waters. To purify it. To make it holy. So that you might meet Him there and from there never have His presence by the Spirit depart from your life. What grace is that? What special revelation is that that we might know because of Christ, because of who He is, because of what He's done for us and in our place, that we truly are His and He is ours and His banner over us is love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day, for Your grace towards us, for the revealing of Your Son Jesus in His baptism. God, I pray for every person here who is baptized, who has questioned, God, whether or not their baptism counted, that, Lord, they would be reminded that even their baptism is not a work that they do to earn anything from You, but rather they step into the finished work of Christ for them and on their behalf, trusting that even His baptism was for them. Help us, Lord, to trust You more. Help us, Lord, to come to You even when we are, especially when we are, weary and heavy laden. Trusting that even as the Spirit descended like a dove, meaning peace and unity rather than wrath, that we can come to You and trust Your Word when You said that anyone who comes to You, You will in no wise cast out. But rather, You will receive us. You will restore us. And no matter how broken we may be or how broken we may have made things to be, You are the God of all creation who spoke life into existence when there was nothing. And You are able to redeem, to restore, to recreate, and to give life where there is death. 
Lord, we pray for that today in every way, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, for Your people and for the sake of Your name. Amen.